light treason news, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined once again by Meredith. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. Did you enjoy your two-minute break we just took? I sure did. Cool. Uh, I realized I didn't ask you, you wrecked uh, Queer Eye on yesterday's episode. Yes. But is there anything else you're watching or reading or listening to right now that you want to wreck to everyone? Uh, Well, I am, uh, once again, have found a weird, dark, uh, (gasps) European (gasps) mystery television program. I'm so excited. What is it? Uh, This one's called The Break. Oh, that was recommended to me. It's Belgian. Great. It's uh, pretty weird. Cool. and at this point, I'm now definitely uh, seeing the like the through lines of all of the <laughs> yeah. non-English language. Like it's like this one's more like French Broadchurch. This one's yeah. like Belgian. Like oh, it's got flashbacks. So here's how this goes. Right. It's, it's all like you know this one's about immigration. No, this one's about gangsters. Right. It, but it's kind of fun. Um, cool. I'm yeah. definitely gonna check that out. Like Netflix. Uh, Netflix's algorithm knows me so well yeah. that now it just recommends like um, real like real estate, reality television shows, uh, baking shows, and like dark murder mysteries yeah. like that. That's very similar. I mean, I think because we've both been watching the same murder mysteries <laughs> and Escape to the Country. Yeah. Well, also now, have you watched uh, Australia's Best Homes? No, I have not. Oh, that was recommended to me by a friend, and it is so addictive. It's two architects and an interior designer who travel all over Australia to Australia's quote-unquote best homes. But because it's Australia and, like, the geographical locations are so diverse, the the houses are wild. Like, it's really fun. And then the audience voted uh, Mm -hmm. already on, like, who goes forward. So every episode they reveal who won the last round. Oh, I think I saw the first episode of of that for England. Yes. And uh, for some reason I didn't like the English one. I don't know. I don't really like the English announcers. There's something that really bothers me about it. I'm like, I don't. Mm. Yeah. I don't also, know. But yeah. The Australian one is very watchable. So, yeah, there's something. Also, I just care way less about um, rich British people than I do about rich anyone else. Right. Right. I get that. Um, so the break. Uh, yes, the break. Um, I read a fantastic, if depressing, uh, story in GQ uh, that just went up a couple of days ago. That's a long uh, investigation into what happened to Otto Warmbier, the 21-year-old American boy who was convicted of crimes in North Korea and sentenced to 15 years hard labor, mm. who then uh, was returned to the United States in a coma and then died a few days later. Very weird story that like, I was, yeah. I don't think a lot of people know, like I don't know a lot about it, mm-hmm. but I think most people don't know a lot well, about like, it. Most of it is still a, a true mystery, but mm. this like really, this is like a six months reporting in Seoul, in Washington, talking to the, in Ohio, uh, with the family, with people who negotiated his release. Um, it, it doesn't answer the questions, but it creates enough, it gives you enough of a picture of exactly how things went down that it just becomes, it's just clear how much of a tragedy it was. So is what is so sad about it is that he died? Or well, is it the circumstances? Um, it's that he has, it's that partly that he died for doing something that was profoundly stupid, but also so like, dumb. yeah. Uh, 
But also you know. shouldn't die. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it certainly did not. Yeah. And I think, uh, but it raises questions. It definitely pokes massive holes in the Trump administration's narrative of what happened to him, saying that he wasn't uh, actually repeatedly beaten and tortured. Mm-hmm. And uh, it posits uh, because the time, like the, a newly constructed timeline, suggests that he was um, that he was traumatically injured, basically right after he was convicted, mm. rather than over the course. He he went unconscious and then was in, in custody while in a hospital for many many months. Mm. Uh, that he may have uh, tried to take his own life. Oh wow! Um, and then after that, he was in a vegetative state until okay. um, until he was returned. And um, you know, it sort of lays out information they have from medical records in the hospitals from from these negotiations and uh, and also that. Um, even the people that were trying to negotiate on both sides had no real idea what was going on and we'll probably never know because it's really only known to Kim Jong-un's uh, inner circle mm. and they're not talking, obviously. So it, it just it makes it really sad and, and is a particularly heartbreaking story about how someone like someone's death and someone's suffering can be turned into a political narrative that yes. serves the purposes of someone who's, you know, I always think of, um, not genuine. Uh, what was her name? Uh, Terry, um, Terry Shivo, Shivo, like that poor woman, how she became like a cause celeb for oh. the right. And like her story is so sad. Cause you know, she had an eating disorder and then, she fell into a coma from it and like, which is just so tragic in itself. But then for it to take on this other life as like an anti-choice sort of Mm -hmm. campaign was uh, so horrifying. Yeah. Um, And also, I mean, I think that like, there's so many things that that, like this, this boy's case could illuminate about how, genuinely awful it is for North Koreans who are subjected to these sorts of sentences and these sorts of, uh, you know, and this regime, like, we're still forced to look at it as like, oh, this American boy with a bright future, like, was tortured to death when right. really he was, you know, not, he you know, did something stupid. And, you know, let's all remember also, this is, and this is not excusing people who do horrible things when they're young, but when you're 21, your brain is not fully formed. A hundred percent. I so, just, I didn't fuck up in North Korea, but oh, I, yeah, no. I was, I was <laughs> fucking up. No, I'm saying like in his defense where yeah, yeah. It, it's like, I did a lot of stupid shit. He just did stupid shit in the one place where it's like, not the one yeah. place, but one of the places where it's like, no, you really can't do that. Right. And I mean like when it also, when you decide to take a tour like this and do something like that, if you're going through a company that doesn't really fully impress upon you, how important it is to follow certain rules, the likelihood that you're going to accidentally violate a cultural norm right. becomes mat- like much higher. And uh, apparently, like unbeknownst to this kid, and like I didn't even know until I read this piece, that uh, messing with or tampering with state propaganda mm-hmm. uh, is an extremely serious crime. Yeah. So Should we like, say what he d- he took a flag? He's he stole a, a poster. A poster off right. of a hotel hallway. Right. It was in a restricted section of the hotel, but still That's he like such, took like, it. That's like a twenty one like, year old thing to do too, because he's probably like, oh, he wanted a, like souvenir. a cool souvenir. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. So this is, and that's the sort of thing like a, a North Korean would almost certainly be tortured to death because of it. Yeah. And so he got lucky for 15 years of hard labor. But um, 
but so yeah, that's just I. It's it's a downer, but it really it was a fascinating, fascinating piece about a story that like hadn't that I sort of followed very basically, and then you know now I'm excited. I was happy to see something right more in depth about it. Um. So any other listening or viewing? It's like listening because I've definitely. Uh, oh, the new Mitski album is. Oh, absolutely yeah. amazing and everyone should listen to it because and she's a friend of the show isn't she friend because of the she, show. Was, she, she was she was on. the first interview i did uh on the show yeah amazing uh so i would definitely think that mm-hmm. and you know i'm not i'm still listening to the same old same old podcasts i haven't found any that uh, oh are, are you really interested like, this is me wrecking something to you via rachel chada oh she recommended something to me that i am just like eating up with a spoon Ooh. have you heard of who weekly oh yes i okay. i'm quite a fan of who Weekly. oh my god i'm obsessed but i was like you will love uh see celeb gossip oh i mean <laughs> i live for it yeah uh, i think i'm just listening to a bunch of yeah like newsy type stuff but i do have something else i wanted to talk about if you oh, don't please, have yes. any other recommendations no those are mine while we're still in the pop culture section we have to talk about this trailer for insatiable oh my god oh god uh so if you haven't seen it it's horrifying um, trigger warning for all kinds of fat shaming and fat phobia. Um, but there's a really good piece that I'm going to link to at uh, our Lipson page. It's on Medium and it's by your fat friend um, from yourfatfriend.com. But I want to just read from the piece because I'm kind of like self-conscious. I wanted to talk about this. But I also think it's important to center um, fat people who are like affected the most by yeah. this in the conversation. I think oftentimes when we talk about stuff like this, it's like thin people talking mm-hmm. about it, which, you know, obviously we can be aware that fat shaming is bad, but we can't appreciate what it's like to live in a society that hates fat people Yeah, on the same level as someone who is fat themselves. So... They, uh, I'm not going to read the whole piece, but I'll sort of summarize it. Um, Maybe I'll read parts of it. But they talk about the first time they saw um, an actor in a fat suit. And specifically um, when Tyra Banks, and I remember this, did her like undercover segment on uh, what it's like to be a fat person. And she put on a fat suit, but not just a fat suit. She like made herself like real sloppy and unattractive. Oh, yeah. Which is how the stereotype of fat people goes, right? right. Like you can't be a fat person and not also be sort of slovenly and undressed and unkempt. Right. And, yeah. Right. It, let, let's ignore the fact that there are super hot fat people who yeah. like dressed to the nines and who look fantastic. Um, but, and also the fact that, I mean, even now when we watch, you know, Disney and Pixar films, I forgot like uh Wally. Oh yeah. You know, the, showing everybody is like, fat and gross in the future mm-hmm. um but like how fat people are constantly shown like in sweatpants constantly eating right like that's what a fat person is in a movie and tv shows so um, i mean that's definitely me like but i'm <laughs> <laughs> right but you're not like shown as like the gross no i am not yeah like, i'm but i'm saying i probably should be like. <laughs> so um 
but they write about you know that they were um, really struggling with their weight. They were 330 pounds, desperate to lose weight. Um, already uh, tried. Um, by the way, they were 21 and they had already tried Atkins, Weight Watchers, Slim Fast, Prozac, Fat Camp, um, a weight loss drug that was banned by the FDA, um, and. Then they see this Tyra Banks show, and, like, if Tyra Banks had done this undercover expose to sort of center fat people and talk about Mm -hmm. how her culture is so cruel to them, I think it might have had some merit, but this person writes about how afterwards it was just, like, Tyra crying, and then the two fat panelists she had on, like, comforting her? Yep. Like, are you okay? And it's like, what's happening? This is not about... This, like, thin, gorgeous model struggle spending a day as a fat person. This is about, like, real fat people who deal with this every day and who, like, can't take off a suit at the end of the day and be Tyra Banks. Yeah. Unfortunately, that was the the whole nature of Tyra Banks' television show, which was everybody. It's still all about Tyra. Right, right. Um, So they write, Whoever these fat suit characters were, the message to me as a young fat woman was clear. If I stayed fat, I was destined to be the butt of every joke, categorically undesirable and unlovable, a social pariah who was lucky to have friends at all. I learned that I was repulsive no matter how I dressed, what I accomplished, or who I was. I learned that my personhood would always be overshadowed by my body. I learned that my only redemption could come from getting thin, and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't seem to get thin. Um... But I was, but what I was too young to realize was that none of these stories, not one, had been written by a fat adult. <laughs> these narratives were born not of experience, but of sheer imagination. Every last one was a thin person's fantasy in which fat bodies were simply plot devices, a convenient shorthand to prop up the virtue of thinness. As I grow older, I came to understand that these many thin writers, actors, and directors needed to believe that fat people were lonely, isolated, oblivious, awkward, hopeless, and helpless. They needed to believe that they, as thin people, had done what fat people could not. They needed to believe that their bodies weren't simply bodies, but trophies for their work to outsmart fatness. (laughs) They longed to believe that they were stronger, smarter, more determined, more tenacious, and more hardworking than the fat people they depicted. They, these weren't stories of the failures of fat people. They were stories about the supremacy of thinness, which I think is a great writing, like and yeah. a great summary too. It's a hundred percent projection, and oftentimes from really unhappy people. Oh, absolutely! The idea that these that any particular change in your body is going to immediately fix a sense of inadequacy yes. is, is absolutely and wrong. oftentimes people um, overcompensate. Uh, if if they do have like an emotional hole inside mm-hmm. of them, with exercising obsessively, like obsessively controlling their diets, well, with, with picking out as many groups as possible that they can compare themselves to yes. and say, at least I'm not that. Yes, at least I'm not that. You yeah. know, that- constantly in a race with other people. Yeah, like mm. so. Um, I highly recommend reading the whole article. It's really really good. Um, and. Yeah, uh, there's so many parts of it I want to read, but you guys should probably just go read it. And don't watch Insatiable. It looks fucking bad. I mean, in addition to it being, like, wildly offensive to fat people and having the really tired old trope of girl was fat and then girl gets thin and hot and people want to date her, um, 
it just looks terribly written and like a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> if you really like watch Heathers, like the yeah. original movie, like if you want to watch something about toxic high school scenarios, mm-hmm. just don't even bother. Yeah. And like if you're a writer and I'm sure I don't have to tell you guys this, retire that fucking trope. <laughs> like fat people uh can be hot. Fat people can live awesome, exciting, rewarding lives and fall in love and they don't have to lose weight to get value, <laughs> you know? Uh that seems like a pretty simple concept. I mean, it should be. Maybe we can get there someday. Uh, is there anything that you're looking forward to pop culture wise? Ooh, yes. Okay. I um, am counting down until I can pull myself together enough to go see the movie Eighth Grade. Oh, I know. I have to go see it. I uh, My friends who have seen it already have said it is absolutely incredible, that it's like really moving. I watched the trailer and immediately said to myself, there is no way on earth I'm going to be <laughs> able to survive watching this. I don't think I can do it, yeah. but I'm going to make myself because so I think that ultimately it will be I literally thing. know nothing about it. So it's, I mean, it's... I both, imagine you know, it's just like about being awkward in Eighth Grade, right? Yeah, well, she's... Uh, yeah, so it's written and directed by Bo Burnham. Yep. Uh, and it follows a young girl who's in eighth grade, and she's very, very shy. You know, total, like, feels like a total wallflower. But she has a YouTube show where she talks about, like, gives life advice mm-hmm. and sort of talks about, like, how to love yourself. And then it's her sort of dealing with awkwardness and, you know, being, like, struggling to find connection and figuring out what to do in the transitional moment. And, that. you know, she's things like they actually show her with realistically... She has like, acne. Right? She has realistically, yeah, yeah like greasy skin God, with I love pimples. That. And we're and, so conditioned yeah. to accept like forty-year-olds playing teenagers on like the CW, <laughs> yeah, uh, or like Riverdale. Like all of those people are like in their late twenties or early thirties, and it's like this is what teenagers look like. It's like no, it's not. <laughs> no, and uh, but also there is. I I read a great piece. I should find it and I'll send it to you because it. I thought it was really lovely. Um, it might have been on Racked, but it it talks about the costumes in uh, in uh, eighth grade and the specific use of Hollister and oh, like God. Hollister yeah. t-shirts yeah. as uh, like social signifiers. And there's like a scene in the trailer. So it's not giving anything away where she's trying to talk to these two popular girls and she's wearing one of those like really long Hollister t-shirts, yeah. but it's like exposes that she's, got a little bit of a tiny like a tiny like adolescent midsection yeah. you know it's like exactly as unflattering as you remember <laughs> yeah. tight t-shirts to be and yeah. then the other girls are wearing them and they don't look nearly as awkward sure, 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 and sure. that yeah this like the existence of of like clothes that clothes that could technically fit but still be unflattering yes and like the way that like sizing and cuts There's in so teen, much like, like stores will like make it hard for people to do that anyway it was fascinating and I also was just like oh yeah they really put an enormous amount of effort into the details of how it's just the politics of fashion yeah the politics of fashion it's not just it's not just enough to get the right brand like you also there's other grooming stuff going on that if you don't speak that language (laughs) like in the in the same way that ladybird featured a lot of realistic sort of like poor quirky kid 
in a more upper class environment fashion. in terms of fashion yeah. and styling. This seems to be like, you know, yes, it's four years younger, but they seem to have really gotten that. So right, right. Um, once again, I'm not even sure if I can see it without like having a hard time, but I'm still going to try. <laughs> I heard it so good. Uh, guys, it's that time of the show. Let's all hold hands and cry. Here is your bad news. Bad news. All right, we got to start with James Comey. <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm so, so sick of this guy. I'm so sick of him. I just want him to go away. So former FBI Director James Comey on Sunday urged Democrats to avoid moving too far to the left, suggesting doing so would benefit Trump and Republicans. So he tweeted this. Democrats, please, please don't lose your minds and rush to the socialist left. This president and his Republican Party are counting on you to do exactly that. America's great middle wants sensible, balanced, ethical leadership. So I don't believe that the Republican Party wants us to rush the socialist left. I think what the Republican Party exactly wants us to do is stay in the middle and negotiate with them them. and sacrifice our values and what we want to meet them, quote unquote, in the great middle, whatever the fuck that is. Jesus. I mean, like, Jim Comey has proven that he is the, like, one of the least capable people to speak <laughs> to what actually counts as principle because yes. he unilaterally decided to tank the, like, to interfere with the election. Yes. It's like this guy built his legacy on pretending he was above politics, mm-hmm. he was above partisanship, and then he did the most partisan thing he could do, and he tanked the election for Hillary Clinton um, with the stupid yeah. emails so. bullshit. Under the under the auspices of supposedly like making sure everyone had all the information when uh-huh. he was clearly okay, like, bro. yeah. Uh, And now he's desperately trying to earn his reputation back as, like, the great middle whatever. Um, But we we know this song and dance, right? It it was called Triangulation during the Clinton years. Yeah, and it was how we ended up destroying a bunch of the social safety net. Uh Uh-huh, and selling out labor and selling out the environment and all of those things. That's what happens when we try to meet Republicans in the middle. We end up sacrificing the good stuff that makes us good you yeah. know where it's like if if you say you know what we're really not going to protect the environment we're really not going to protect workers rights we're going to meet you guys in the middle that can only result in big business and corporations winning we've seen yeah. that we've seen it happen well we just had a massive tax cut and wages fell 1.8 percent like yeah. we are looking at you know yeah poor people are getting poorer and they're struggling more rich people are just Hoovering up the dollars. 1.5 trillion dollar tax cut that they didn't fucking need. And then we're being told, oh, we don't have enough money for schools. Yeah. Meet us in the middle, guys. Yeah. Meet us in the middle on 1.5 trillion dollars in tax cuts for the uber wealthy so they can get another yacht. Meet us in the middle on that. It's like, no, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Did they get to keep the yacht tax cut? There was like a yacht. Oh, I don't Yacht and private jet component to the tax. I don't. Anyway, yeah, doesn't matter. It's just one of those things. Yeah. So uh, I don't need to tell you guys this, but no one 
fucking listen to James Comey about anything. Unless it's like you really need to know how to tank an election. Yeah. <laughs> In which case, go to James Comey because he's really, uh, he knows how to fuck up an election. Like, I just, I could go my whole life without seeing him or John Brennan tweet ever again. Like, those are not the voices that I want. You know, yeah, you know who I want to hear from less, and I guess it's good because he's dead, is Richard Holbrook. Right. And frankly, I would actually take his uh, comments on foreign <laughs> policy because at least then I'd be talking to a ghost. Right. <laughs> right. That would be interesting. Yeah. And yeah, ghost Afghanistan policy would be kind of interesting. To right. Hear about. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about it now? Yeah. Uh, Are you haunting them? <laughs> if, if the foreign policy is we're going to haunt them, then I can get behind it. Sure. But, you know, let's not bomb them anymore. Right. Um, so we've been talking a lot about abortion and a federal judge has ruled in favor of 13 protesters who for the past several years have congregated outside a New York abortion provider bombarding visitors with giant signs depicting aborted fetuses and allegedly issuing threats to those attempting to escort women into the center. Uh, whether they're there for an abortion or not, by the way. Sometimes they're not there for an abortion. Right. It turns out there's lots of reasons you might need to go to a women's health clinic what? that That's also crazy. provides abortion, and they are not to just, like, get your uterus flushed out. Right. So on Friday, Federal District Court for the Eastern District Judge Carol Bagley Amon said that the Attorney General failed to show that the defendants intended to harass, annoy, or alarm patients as they entered. Which I'm like, fucking how? No. How did they fail to show, if they're there with signs, that's harassment. Mm-hmm. If they say anything, that's harassment. Um, and the standard of annoy is like even lower than harass. Yeah. If I'm trying to get into a building and someone's in my way, that's annoying me. Mm-hmm. So how did the Attorney General failed to show that um so judge amen wrote in her decision the interactions on the sidewalk outside choices were genuinely sorry generally quite short and there is no credible evidence that any protester disregarded repeated requests to be left alone over an extended period or changed his or her tone or message in response to requests to be left alone in a way that suggested an intent to harass annoy or alarm you know, if somebody, if I was going in for women's health care and someone said to me just once, you're killing your baby. That's it. I would consider that to be harassment, even if I, even if they only said it once. Even though it's so short, you think that's harassment? I mean, I think someone offering unsolicited advice about constitutionally protected rights def- definitely counts as harassment mm-hmm. when I know that like I'll be fine. But, you know, somebody else might look at that and be terrified away their presence means that they're getting judged what about like if you're coming in there i mean come on guys this is ridiculous somebody who's who's going there for care potentially because they're they they need low income like because they're low income or perhaps they're an abusive relationship or they need to end a pregnancy because they're afraid any threat that they're going to be recognized and exposed that could put their life in danger. And that sure as shit is harassment. So speaking of putting other people's lives in danger, she adds this ridiculous part of her decision. Um, She added that, quote, this decision should not embolden the defendants to engage in more aggressive conduct. You're a judge and you just told them it's fine what they're doing. Yeah. 
So like, or maybe not fine, but that they won't be held accountable for it and they won't be asked to leave and they won't be banned from that area. Of course that decision will embolden them. And it doesn't, yes, because this is all about pushing the boundaries and pushing the line of what's acceptable until people are allowed to start keeping like registered lists of everybody who goes in and out of a clinic, Mm -hmm. taking their pictures without consent, looking at that. I mean, this is how we ended up with dead abortion doctors. The people were harassing and following and all of that came together and like there is anyone who thinks that this is harmless or an isolated incident is like deluding themselves and is like massively mispracticing law. Right. Uh, So I also wanted to talk about the massive layoffs by Trunk. Um, Oh, good. Because this is like fucking uncomfortable. This is bananas and everyone should be outraged by it and alarmed by it, especially now with everything that's happening. Like we need a lot of really good journalists covering everything. Genuinely afraid. Yeah, yeah. so Trunk gutted the New York Daily News. They fired half of them uh, of its uh, yeah, editorial a staff. 50% reduction in editorial staff Insane. for one of the daily newspapers in one of the biggest cities in the country. Totally insane. Uh, to cut costs. And so Albert uh, Bernanko has a really good piece over at Deadspin called How Is This Shit Legal? And I'm going to read a little bit from it. Um, When people talk pejoratively about class warfare, they almost never are referring to things like the above sequence of events. But what happened to the Daily News at the hands of Tronk is class fucking warfare. A massive redistribution of wealth from the paper's working people to a disgusting a uh, handsy shitbag multimillionaire in a decision made far above those working people's heads by a handful of executive and investor class vampires. The journalists who lost their livelihoods today in effect had their salaries and benefits rerouted uh, to Michael Farrow's bank accounts. Michael Farrow uh, is the chairman who resigned of uh, Trunk. Um, and by the way, he resigned just ahead of the publication of sexual harassment allegations against him. Oh, shocking. Against their wills, they were made to pay him for being a fucking pig. That's what happened. He had to leave because he's disgusting. Um, Versions of this are happening all across the media industry. Ownership parasites writing checks to themselves and each other that must be cashed out of the livelihoods of real people with no say in the matter. Deadspin's parent company, Univision, recently bought out dozens of people across our network of sister sites, Originally, they intended layoffs before negotiating with our union, not because we're doing unprofitable work, but simply as a means of passing along the outrageous debt the company's owners took on when they purchased Gizmodo Media Group in the first place. Next, they'll sell us off, all together or piecemeal, as best suits their wallets and nothing else. It is pretty much exactly the fuck you pay me sequence from Goodfellas playing out in real time. And that's 100% true. Yeah. This is like either like bad business deals or people leaving in disgrace and then leaving a huge uh, bill behind them that someone has to pay for. And the people who end up paying for it are the ones who are the only ones adding value to the thing in the first place. Like without these reporters, without these journalists, the New York Daily News would be worthless. Yeah. And I mean, the New York Daily News is a Pulitzer Prize winning newspaper. This isn't some, we're not talking about some ragtag tabloid as some people like want to say this is like has a long and storied history and yes it is like 
it is technically it is a tabloid, but they do immensely important local reporting. Yeah. Have looked into corruption and important stories, and we're aggressively like, going after Trump. Yeah, so, so like at a time when we need that the most. Yes, and I think like this is obviously it's not just unions that we need it's not just you know we don't need more billionaires coming to step in and buy like local media this is a, a situation where like we we are going to lose an entire institution that is functional and is like essential to the public good yeah. if there isn't something done to stop these rich people from right. just gutting the companies because they you know want to enrich themselves and that that's trunks Goal. Like Trunk, this is what Trunk does. You oh know? yeah, their entire thing. Like they are not a media company. They are a wealth generating machine, yes. and it's generating it through profits and revenues that they're gathering through the sale and dismantling of right, like and, newspapers. And they are there to make a very few amount of people a ton of money. Yeah. Um, so he writes, it's legal to do this. It's legal if you're rich enough or careful, carefully enough obscured behind the legal fiction of a hedge fund or corporation to borrow vast sums of money, purchase a company with it, and then simply pass that debt along to the people who do the company's work and make its products by stripping their jobs so you can redirect their salaries towards debt payment. And that's the heart of the matter. Mm -hmm. These are very wealthy people borrowing money to buy institutions like the New York Daily News, institutions that like we all rely on for information, um, and then fire a bunch of people, yep. take that money, and then we lose as the public because we lose our news. The journalists lose because they lose their jobs and salaries. Who wins? The people rich enough to borrow the money in the first place to buy the company. Yeah. And I mean, this is one of those, like, you think about it, like this is part of a... This is an attempt to massively realign the entire economy mm -hmm. so that we have a surf class and an ownership class. Right. And as you're devastating the livelihoods of people who were working class and middle class, um, because let's not get it twisted, the journalists, like most of the journalists who are working at the New York Daily News, at the Chicago Tribune, the LA Times, at any of the other places, because there are also other layoffs coming at other trunk yes. papers, uh, those people are not making prestige money. No. They are, you know, and definitely enough to support themselves, but that is a tough, like, yeah, it's a tough, tough living. It's, you know, we're, it's not, they're not making fast food, but it is like, let's yes. keep it and clear there. And they work very hard. Yeah, so yeah. that's, it, it's a lot of work for not as much money as you'd think, given that you're supposed to be protecting democracy through information. But all of a sudden, those people have, no job they're struggling you know we've lost half of the like print newspaper like yeah well, that's another like, thing you lose less, your like, job and there's so few jobs to move yeah. on to now yeah so what do you do next where right. do you go how do you support yourself I mean like eventually everybody ends up working in an Amazon warehouse yeah. and then like the Washington Post which is owned by Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos gets to fund all of the journalists great that ideal <laughs> Right, we Let's, can all. If that's the end game, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. at some point, the only newspaper that will be holding power accountable oh will be God. the Washington Post because Jeff Bezos hasn't figured out how to send us all to space. Oh God. Um, so while we still have some time in the bad news section, I wanted to talk about this is such a sad story. Nia oh. Wilson, 
who was the 18-year-old young lady who was stabbed to death um, in a brutal attack in the Bay Area. And police, the update to the story is they have arrested um, John Lee Cowell, who's the, um, Nia Wilson was a young black lady. He is a white man. And now they're investigating if there's any kind of like hate crime or a white supremacist connection. I, full disclosure, don't know right now, but I wanted to talk about, um, you know, obviously how an attack like this terrorizes an entire community because just like the the visual uh, implication of a white man attacking a young black yeah. woman like this, like even if his motives weren't racially motivated, effectively terrorizes an entire community. Sure. Also, there was a really creepy part of this story where, so there was some, you know, discussion as there is immediately in the aftermath of something like this of like, was he mentally ill? Right. But there's um, video footage from the BART station. He brought clothes to change into after the attack. Oh, my God. So that, like, really creeped me out where I was like, as far as I know, that's still the story. Maybe that's changed since then. But the initial reports were he was in one type of outfit and then he went into the bathroom and he changed. So that obviously would suggest it was premeditated. Right. Um, or, yeah, he had put or some Or at the very least, whatever was going on, he thought about it enough that he had clothes. Yeah. But detectives are saying, at least right now, they have uh, not found evidence he's tied to a hate group. They're still investigating motive, all of that stuff. Um, and also, like, let's not, especially, so we're talking about the Bay Area here. So, excuse me, even though, like, this could turn out to be one of those, like, horrifying freak things where a person who was clearly disturbed just lashed out and, and did this. But you know, we're like, this is the city where Oscar Grant was murdered in a BART station. Um, there were, there've been other murders on BART stations, like on BART trains or in the system just this week. I mean, there is, it is definitely the case that it communities like, probably should feel kind of worried because something is happening. Yeah, and and you can understand, like, why they immediately think that because we uh, live in a very racist society. There have been um, racially motivated uh, violent crimes like this. So I understand why that's the first thought. I'll also say that you don't need to be connected to a hate group to be racist. Nope, absolutely not. (laughs) Like, that... You know, I understand that's sort of an easy way for cops to be like, ah, yes, officially racist. They posted on this white supremacist message board, Mm -hmm. official racist. But, like, you don't have to do that to be a racist person who gets mad when you see black people. Well, the man who stabbed those guys to death in Portland, he was definitely racist. They were defending those young women Mm -hmm. uh, on a... a a tram I think yep. and yeah, yeah. and they they tried to stand up for and tell the guy to leave them alone and he just like murdered them both if, insane story like so sad yeah um also let's not uh rule out misogyny as yeah. well because um, he he stabbed her and her sister her, her and her sister and the part that made it like saddest for me was that the three of them were like literally getting on the train mm-hmm. and the first that she was with two of her sisters a younger one and an older one and the younger one actually had made it onto the train oh god uh when he started stabbing both of them. God, so it so was like scary. It's and like just they like, were they're small women and like yeah. he's a big guy and like there's something about stabbings that just like 
scares the shit out of me, like more than shootings because mm-hmm. it's so personal and so vicious yeah like that the intimacy uh, of of that kind of she must have been so scared when that started to happen i like that breaks my heart yeah um and then like seeing her dad talk it was like so sad uh but the the community rallied and had a ceremony at the bard station where you know they brought candles and and um stuffed animals and stuff like that and made a shrine to Mm -hmm. mia um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about it, even though like we don't have answers to these questions right now. I just wanted to talk about it to like, because we should talk about that this happened to her and it's so horrifying and terrible. Yeah. Like, I mean, regardless should, of why it happened, it just, we should talk yeah, about I mean, it. We should, we should absolutely remember that, like remember her and, and say her name because yeah. she's an 18 year old girl who like, like a kid who lost her life for no yeah. reason. And as you said, we should also talk about the fact that this is happening a lot in the BART system and why is that happening? And it's usually we can trace these things to systemic poverty and stuff like that. And then people shouldn't have to just expect that this shit happens in the Bay area, you know, like they shouldn't have to live in fear because they want to take the train somewhere. Yeah. I mean the massive inequality and lack of services for people who are struggling that is exists all over the Bay area now shouldn't automatically mean that there's going to be more danger for people who take public transit. There should be, you know, we should be talking about what kind of services. Cause I think, they also it had also been noted that he was transient right yes so at the very least we can say he there was something going on with him and he had some sort of he, he had some sort of need whether it was a home yeah or a job or mental health care he was in there was distress. something that was not yeah not working for him and ultimately he committed murder yes and um, even if yeah. it, this was a random attack like several failures had happened for that moment to occur. Exactly. I mean, it can be a random attack without it being a senseless attack. I mean, and, and having some, like a violent act doesn't mean like a violent act is a result of a failure of society, not a bad seed. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's like, you know, we can look at that and clearly he, there should be consequences, but we need to look at the larger you know, once there's more of what information about what happened, right. clearly it will be a window into some ways things could. Yeah, I had seen some people tweet, like people from the Bay Area, about this BART station in particular, that they're supposed to be patrolled by cops, but sometimes the cops don't even get out of the cars hmm. and they don't ride the trains. So that's interesting. I don't know if that's true, mm-hmm. but if that's true, that's like, well, that's interesting. Like, yeah. Are they just, for whatever reason, not doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. But also let's, let's remember more cops, cops around. Does yeah. not, does not, <laughs> not necessarily thing. make things safer yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but for everyone. I was more like, why is it yeah. just like, you're like, why are you afraid of that station? Yeah. Or like, maybe not even afraid, but like, like you just yeah, think it's I not don't worth know. it. Yeah. Just not doing your job. Yeah. That's an um, interesting question. But yeah, good point. Um, let's just not add more cops into an already volatile situation, <laughs> especially, uh, Oscar Grant fucking died. Um, so, guys, it's that time of the episode. Jump up and down. Here is your good news. All right. Good news, everyone. So, I believe, is this another Parker article? It is. Ooh. Over at Upworthy. You should always tweet Parker's articles at Upworthy. She does good work there. 
So this is an interesting article because there was a study done or a data analysis from Target Smart published on July 19th, 2018 that found that voter registration among people ages 18 to 29 has had a pretty substantial spike since the Parkland shooting. Hmm. Uh, so that's interesting because we covered, you know, the Parkland massacre a lot on this show. Emma Gonzalez, yeah. um, David Hogg being two of the most um, prominent yeah. students to come out of that horrible tragedy who were calling for gun control, massacre prevention, calling on young people to get more politically engaged. Yeah. Also an end to the institutionalized racism of yep. policing and violence in cities where mm -hmm. there are young people who are less fortunate than they are at Parkland. Yes, like, uh, so, which yeah. was great uh, <laughs> and really illustrative of how this younger generation gets intersectionality in a way that like even people in our generation and obviously older had no idea <laughs> like we were kind of just like <laughs> what is this i like i think i learned the word intersectionality when i was like already in my 20s yeah same. but these kids already get it and you know they're they're people they're flawed too but like they're trying their best you yeah. know um so the group looked at the voter registration data of 39 states some states don't make this data accessible to the public Comparing new registration before and after Parkland. Across the country, the share of new would-be first-time voters went up 2.16%. But what's really interesting is what's changing on a state-by-state -state basis, especially in states with Senate races coming up in November. Get this. Arizona experienced an 8.2% increase. Mm. Florida, 8%. Virginia, 10.5%. Indiana, 9.9%. New York, 10.7%. Pennsylvania saw a 16% jump in youth registrants. In the period before Parkland, 18 to 29-year-olds made up just 45.2% of new voters, compared with 61.4% after, which is dope. That is, That's those are some good numbers. Real encouraging. Not to assume, obviously, that all young people who register to vote are liberal, but... Um, but I, can't, I, time, I can't believe that's a coincidence. No, yeah. I mean, the that's it's definitely not a coincidence. And those states, you know, that it's in those states is not surprising because think about some of the things that have been happening yes. there. These are, these are people who are listening to the messages that the Parkland kids and the kids that they've been working with, uh, you know, and saying, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go out and vote. And this is a time when I need to make my voice heard. And, and also just realizing how powerful they are too. Yeah. Like it had to be really encouraging to see Emma Gonzalez and David Hogg and how much change they affected and like, Oh fuck, maybe we can affect change in the same way, especially because, you know, politicians, uh, and Parker talks about this in our article, oftentimes with good cause, we're previously dismissive of young people because mm -hmm. young people weren't voting. Right. Now, young people weren't voting oftentimes for valid reasons. Sure. Namely that they don't feel represented by the candidates. But if you are a politician trying to get votes, you're like, why am I going to waste my time with the kids? Yeah. Well, and also a lot of, I think a lot of politicians would take the they, they take the especially liberal politicians take the youth vote for granted such as yeah. whatever chunk it is because they correctly assume that younger people who are new voters are motivated in a way by altruism or by a sense of idealism um and you know but yeah making sure they turn out can be tough uh and 
in midterms especially, there's not as much motivation to do um, to actually like put that effort in and go vote the first time. Yeah, so except this is like now. Well, the, right, this and is like a big, big mid. And I think that's, but everybody that's why understands these numbers that. are yeah. so so interesting because if even a small fraction of the new vote, like this, these extra voters turn out, that could have a pretty major impact right. on some of these elections because many of them are decided by a very small number of votes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, it's actually something uh, really interesting that um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been saying uh, about her win in the primary, that, like, the problem isn't that she's not legitimate because only 3% of the district voted for her. She's, the problem is that so few people feel represented or, mm -hmm. like, represented or spoken to or understood and their needs understood that they don't see any reason to be involved Involved. And so the larger, more successful tactic is to try, like, the way to up voter engagement and actual voting numbers is to, to be a candidate that's responsive to them. You and know, it seems like, like <laughs> so, like, duh, yes, but it's shocking that she seems so radical because she believes shit like mm -hmm. that. And it's like, it's, it shouldn't be that radical. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I know it, we have a lot of young people who listen to the show. You guys are enormously powerful right now. I hope you're registered to vote. I hope you're encouraging um, mm -hmm. your friends and, and colleagues to yeah. and I'm sure register as well. Yeah. And there's probably someone who's running for office in your in your state, in your town, in your region that is is doing something good or is a candidate that you could get behind. I mean, you don't need there's probably someone you could volunteer for, or do work with, and actually like get involved at a really like ground level that would make you feel like you're actually getting something done and I yeah. think that's like a that's always something to remember too you know and previously the whole reason I, I'm not really big on shaming people not to vote is I understand that especially on the national level you probably just don't feel represented by mm -hmm. the candidates but I think especially like on a state level and as you said like locally you can probably find someone who yep. you are excited about. And if you do find someone who you're excited about, yeah, throw your support behind them. Yeah. Um, and if you're a liberal living in a very conservative area and there's like really no one, you know, um, see if you can find somebody who's trying to run and support them. Yep. Yeah. I know a lot of people have gotten really politically engaged um, who listen to the show and like, run for office themselves mm -hmm. that's awesome too if you're able to do that or like maybe not run themselves but throw their support behind you know the, a lot mm -hmm. of people at UCB yeah. worked on the Ocasio-Cortez campaign because mm -hmm. they got really jazzed about her and like look what fucking happened they won of course <laughs> you know? yeah uh so also in good news guys this was just so funny to me oh my god I'm sorry I'm oh what you're my god so Fox and Friends, truly the, the smartest of the bunch. Um, just just a whole bunch of Einstein. Oh, wait, there. is this different? Fox and Friends first? Is that like... Oh, that's got to be some sort of like early, early Oh, are they like thing? the ones who like lead into Fox and Friends? Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't watch Fox News. Whatever. So, uh, I mean, everybody at Fox News, here's my general statement. Not the smartest people in the world. Fox and Friends first thought they booked pro-ICE Democratic congressional candidate Ann Kirkpatrick um, to appear on the show on Monday morning. First of all, if you are pro-ICE, you should be voted out of office in if, the Democratic yeah, Party. Yeah, it is absolutely true. Uh, so they thought they had booked Ann Kirkpatrick. Instead, they somehow ended up with Barbara Letalian instead. Uh, 
So they kick it over to quote-unquote Kirkpatrick and ask her to explain why she supports ICE. Letalian, who's a Democratic state senator in Massachusetts who is running for Congress, delivered a very different personal message to Trump. It made me feel so happy. So this is her. Good morning. I'm actually here to speak directly to Donald Trump. I feel that what's happening at the border is wrong. I'm a mother of four, and I believe that separating children, uh, separating kids from their parents is illegal and inhumane. I'm actually Barbara Letalian. <laughs> I'm a state senator representing a large immigrant community. I'm running for Congress in Massachusetts. I keep thinking about what we're putting parents through. Imagine how... Imagining how terrifying that must be for those families. Imagining how it would feel not knowing if I'd ever see my kids again. We have to stop abducting children and ripping them from their parents' arms. Stop putting kids in cages and stop making three-year-olds defend themselves in court. So at this point, the hosts are still very confused. Uh, they like really thought they were talking to one lady, and it seems like they're talking to someone else. So Jillian Meal, one of the hosts, falsely claims... Kids have been reunited with their families. Uh, in fact, more than 2,100 kids who were separated from their families at the southern border have yet to be reunited. So and that several, was just wrong. Several hundred of those kids are also uh, also have parents who have already been deported and, are, and the government is now claiming are ineligible for reunification. So right. we're not just talking about having not done it yet. Right. Uh, so the Italian goes, again, my name is Barbara Letalian, <laughs> and I refuse to believe that our only options are open borders or traumatizing chill. And then they cut her off. And Rob Schmidt, the host, goes, that didn't go as planned. <laughs> <laughs> and then after the break, the hosts apologize, saying, we were told Ann Kirkpatrick was going to be on the show. As you saw, somebody else stepped in front of the camera. We are what? working to figure out how that happened. So actually what happened was, Fox got in touch with Italian's aides and for some reason thought they were Kirkpatrick's uh, staffers. Oh, my And then God. they were like, well, we have this opportunity. Yeah. Should you just go on Fox News? And they were badasses and decided to go on Fox News. That's so incredible. Um, so this is what I think this is one of the uh, sources. Fox News is where you go when you talk, want to talk to Donald Trump, and Barbara felt she had an obligation to her constituents to take advantage of that opportunity. But this would not have happened uh, to an actual news station. Fox's lack of attention to the facts normally is a disaster for the country. It just so happened that today it was embarrassing for them. Oh, that is such a good quote. Scathing. Uh, and also, fuck yeah. Barbara. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love that he said somebody else stepped in front of the camera as if she just bodily <laughs> pulled the the pro ice person off camera and was like, I'm going on. She's a real bully, you know. Oh. She killed Ann Kirkpatrick <laughs> to get in front of the camera. No, I don't even are they running against each other or is there no. just a completely different person? Uh, I mean, I definitely like looked at the story and I, I watched the clip, but I, I didn't pay attention to the specific context because that seems wait let me see and kirkpatrick is running in dun, 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 dun. she's arizona hmm. yeah that is a spot that's even better i love it uh so funny you know and i've worked closely enough with people who are on television and have worked on daily television shows you have to be a supremely incompetent <laughs> booker to just book the wrong person. Yeah. Oh, 
Oh, I wanted to get your take on this. This is so off topic, but speaking of booking, so we've been talking a lot about Sasha Baron Cohen's yep. aggressively average show and just like what a creepy predator he can be. But in terms of booking, like, do you think they went to the extent that they had like fake websites and oh, well, I know Sasha Baron Cohen has a fake website for one of the characters. Yeah. But like, wouldn't you ask to see like previous interviews and stuff? I mean, I would. Yeah. Um, if only because I'm a normal human being who, when asked if I was going to do a media appearance and I wasn't familiar with the outlet, would want to make sure I wasn't A, talking to like something like the Daily Caller, or B, accidentally giving an interview to some sort of oppressive state television station right. for a foreign government. Um, Russia Today. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but then you say, like, okay, so we'll look it up. But there's also, you know, there's a reason why a lot of these people are either, you know, they're either too lazy or too convinced that they just can be fine with it or are flattered or they're not savvy enough to realize that they have to vet this stuff because they've never been questioned in a way that made them feel differently. I'm thinking right. about the racist in Georgia who was convinced to scream the N-word and drop his so, pants. So here's the thing. And... It doesn't take a lot to make a racist person do racist things and say right. racist things. It does take a little bit of savvy to get them to drop their pants. I mean, that... So, did you see his response to that? I, he was like, I was, you know, paralyzed by terror because this was a time when, like, um, a Republican had just been shot at the baseball game, a uh, softball game, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. um, and like, uh, he's claiming like his, um, he had been threatened directly. And I think maybe his family. And he was just so terrified that Sasha Baron Cohen could easily manipulate him. Well, okay. So what? Like you, like <laughs> you dropped your pants and were screaming the N word. <laughs> like that was you. That was not Sasha Baron Cohen being a master at manipulation. Also, there's not anything like there's nothing about fear, like a, my fear response that would make me like take my pants <laughs> off. I can't emphasize enough. He dropped his pants. Full ass hanging out. You know, I can see, you know, whatever. But I think, yeah, I, I think that there is, it still is astounding, but there has to be some level of savvy in the packaging that, that allows them to to get through some of, of what's going on. Although mm -hmm. I also read a really interesting interview with the woman from the art gallery that was the first episode. Um, oh, yeah. I felt like that was one of the very, like, petty, mean. Um, but she ones. was an incredibly good sport about it. See, and, but that like, almost makes me sadder because, like, um, Olympias, the um, oh, Korean, yeah. she was the same way where she like talked about the way they terrorized her. And you could tell like she was legitimately scared during it. But at the end she's like, I don't know. I don't want anyone to think I'm like criticizing it. I thought it was really funny when I saw it. Like when um, they laugh and they try to be like, a good sport about it, it's almost like I feel oh, no, this, sorry for that. This gallery owner makes it clear that she knew that something was up. Like oh, there was like, she a was pretty long like, interview. This is weird, she was but... like, yeah, I know that they approached other art gallery owners yeah, and okay. I got a sense when they were asking me questions that things might not be like that. There might be some element. But she to this, was just but like, I'm going to, she was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to go along with this because like, it's an interesting bit of art and it's performance art and okay. we have a pretty decent Fair. gallery. Like yeah. there's nothing. She's like, I've been a performer. So I figured that like, yes, ending was not the worst, like wasn't going right. to be terrible. And she also said that there the segment itself came from like an hour and a half sure. of like stuff and that she was just going with it. And yeah, it did seem like, uh, 
I was clearly just like, it was like weird, but I also think like at the very least when she was speaking, I was like, okay, you at least are enough of a professional. Like you are cool here. And I like, at least was, she was kind of like her response. smirking her way through the second. Like I, yeah. I did get that impression that like she knew something weird was but going messing on. with somebody whose biggest like reason for notoriety is that she was so drunk that she was potentially sexually assaulted yeah. on bachelor in paradise. That's like punching down at a, like, it's just like ugly. And, it was and super that's ugly. creepy. Like, well, especially like, it. Her, her having that history and then like her asking for help and them pretending they don't speak English was like so creepy. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I guys, mean, I do that shit to Dick Cheney, but I wouldn't do it to a poor woman. Dude, have at it with Dick Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, please follow Meredith on Twitter at Meredith L. Clark. Please go to lighttreason.news. Support the show, guys. Otherwise, I uh, can't bring you new episodes and that would be super sad. Thank you for all the kind words from everyone. I'm so glad you guys have been enjoying the show. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs> <laughs>